Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, Morgan Jennings, Field Crops Viability Coordinator with Practical Farmers of Iowa, discusses PFI's Cover Crop Cost Share Program, as well as her cover crop research on grazing corn residue in the spring. All right, so I'm here with Morgan Jennings. Morgan, if you want to just start off the same way we usually start these podcasts off, um, just kind of want to know a little bit about you and how you got into the world of agriculture and kind of how you got to where you're at today. Awesome. That sounds great. So as you just said, I'm Morgan Jennings, and I am the Field Crops Viability Coordinator for Practical Farmers of Iowa. And I got into ag, oh, I guess I've always been surrounded by agriculture. I grew up on a hobby farm in eastern Iowa and then got my undergraduate degree at Iowa State University in animal science and agronomy. And then I continued my education at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Um specializing in like ruminant nutrition and, you know, grazing perennial systems. And then, yeah, join Practical Farmers of Iowa and I help administer our cover crop program and give technical assistance to to farmers who are grazing cover crops and the like. Awesome. So I think a lot of our listeners know, but just in case there's someone who doesn't, why don't you give us like just a, a quick brief overview of what PFI is? Yes, that's a great question. So Practical Farmers of Iowa, we're a nonprofit, farmer-led organization founded in the 1980s. I was not, but um, it's been around for quite a while. And I guess we really just pride ourselves on being a farmer-led organization. So farmers really lead our programming um, and they just are the ones that are sharing information and learning from each other. They host field days, any of our, our farminars or shared learning calls. Um, that's all related to our farmer-led education department. And then we also have a research department. So farmers can participate in on-farm trials if there's a topic of interest to them and they want questions answered. That could be like cover crop termination or nitrogen application, really anything um, so that's the research department. And then there's the farm viability department, which is where me and my team resides. Perfect. So that's a good segue. Um, next question I have for you is just kind of a little bit more about your role specifically. And I think there were some programs you'd mentioned to me that you guys are working on specifically with cover crops. So I kind of wanted to hear about that a little bit. Yes. So yeah, in my role, I talk to farmers quite a bit, um, mostly regarding the cover crop cost share program. So we're offering it again this year. It's been around since 2015. So longstanding program being pretty successful. So it's really exciting to see farmers interested in seeding cover crops. And that program open right now, enrollment closes December 1st. So if anyone has seeded a fall cover crop on non-organic corner bean acres, definitely encourage you to apply. It's $10 per acre and you can enroll an unlimited amount of acres which is great. I think that really sets us apart from some other programs where there may be an acre cap. And you could also stack our program with any publicly funded cost share program. So definitely encourage farmers to maybe check out their local USDA office and see if they're able to, you know, double dip. That's more money in your pocket. But yeah, application is super easy. 
uh, should take like 10 minutes to get completed. I help farmers with that a lot. They can, you can call the office and I get them enrolled over the phone or the application is super easy online as well. So I want to go a little bit more general with this question, but I guess in your, in your work with like farmers and cover crops so far, what's been like something really valuable that you've learned, like just about kind of the world of cover crops. I know that's super general, but I don't know. I I want to put you on the spot here. I guess I would say that it's, it's really refreshing to see farmers that have been doing this for decades and they're, they're aware that, you know, starting cover crops is challenging. I mean, it's more time, labor, money, but, and they, they understand that the benefits don't happen overnight, but I guess I get really happy and geek out about it when farmers are coming to me sharing pictures of their cover crops because they're super excited about how it got established and they're they're just like it's so green and beautiful and nice to look at instead of you know a bare field and so it's nice that I can talk to them about it and again help them with the the technical assistance side of things but that um just being in this program, they also feel that they can reach out at any time and share their excitement with us. Um, so far, I think that's that's been a really rewarding part of of the program. It's not just get you through the pipeline. We can build that personal relationship. Have you guys seen like a good mix of um, like experienced cover croppers and kind of people that are more new to it in the program, would you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have tons of farmers that are brand new to cover crops, no no experience at all. Uh, one of the requirements to the cost share program is that if you have like zero or one year of experience, you'll talk to me, for example, or one of us agronomists, just to kind of make sure you feel comfortable with your cover crop plan. So that's for people who are brand new, but we have a ton of farmers as well that have a decade's worth of experience and any of them are able to apply. Um, anybody with whatever farm size to anybody is eligible to enroll. We've had a lot of different farmers on the show, obviously. And and one thing that I hear a lot is like with these cover crop incentive programs, a lot of times uh, the complaint I hear is like, oh, it's just so complicated to like figure out how to enroll or like, you know, there's not enough time in a farmer's day to go online and like really like figure this out. So I guess like what would be your pitch as to like how you're kind of making this easy for farmers to like get involved in and just like not take too much time away from all the other things we know that farmers are busy with? For sure. Yeah. So I guess the easiest thing I would say is pick up the phone. If you are in your tractor and you're doing whatever on the farm, like I said, me and anybody on the team um, can just get you enrolled over the phone. Heck, I just did that with a farmer this morning. He he called, was like, I want to get enrolled. I was like, no problem. We pulled up an application and he was off the phone with me in 15 minutes. But I also went into some details about what the next steps were for him. So it can be a super quick, easy process. Um, phone calls, really easy if you don't want to have to deal with a computer. Uh, lately too, just, you know, tis the season, everybody's harvesting. I get a lot of phone calls when they're in the tractor working. So I would say that if that works for you, definitely take advantage. Um, but, and then there's other options too. I mean, I have farmers that are like, can I tell people to enroll in your program or can I enroll farmers like for you? And that's fantastic. If you want to help recruit for us, we, we have them do that. And if you have other people in your family that are tech savvy, 
then definitely have them help you enroll. But whatever works best for for you. Yeah, I love that. Like you said about them kind of being in the cab. That's sort of our vision for this mm-hmm. podcast too. Is we hope we hope some of you are out there listening, driving around in the tractor right now, and uh, killing some time hanging out with us on the podcast here. So uh, it's always awesome. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because I know you've done some research um, with cover crops and I'm kind of curious about, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought you did some research with spring corn residue and grazing. Is that? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Is there anything that... you want to share from that at all? Yeah, sure. I can touch on that a bit. Yeah. So that was part of my research when I was at uh, UNL, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, uh, working under Dr. Mary Dronowski. So one of my studies was corn residue grazing in the spring, and we were looking really at soil compaction parameters, so bulk density, penetration resistance. I don't need to necessarily go into those nitty-gritty details, but that's what we were measuring and then um, like looking at the impacts on emergence and yields. And the other component to that study was having three different cattle grazing treatments. So we had a control where like no grazing was done. And then we had a, um, I guess, a normal stocking density treatment and a high stocking density treatment. And just evaluating those compaction parameters. And like I said, it's effect on emergence and yield. And actually the, the high stocking density treatment had the highest yields. Um, we kind of speculated that that could have been because with the livestock grazing, the residue, um, you know, it's allowing some of the warmer soil temperatures and just helping with that emergence and potentially with just having livestock on the land, you have that nutrient cycling back into the soil as well. So that could have been why, um, there was, was higher yields in the high stocking density treatment, but ultimately, um, I know that farmers are concerned about compaction in the field, but that study found that if there is compaction, it's so minimal and it's below the threshold that would cause issues for um, crop growth. So I guess obviously there was a difference in compaction between like the no graze treatment and the graze treatments, but there was no difference in bulk density between the graze treatments. And that's the true measure of compaction. So we found that really interesting that um, even though it might look bad, um, maybe you have to like potentially increase, you know, your down pressure when you're planting. Um, There could be surface roughness um, that might contribute to to that emergence and yield and whatnot. But um, yeah, just really interesting to see that compaction might not be as big of an issue as we think. And this was in the spring when this study was done. So we really created a worst case scenario with it, like turning cattle out when it was like wet and sloppy and just nasty. So that was really neat to create that worst case scenario. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe I would just recommend to farmers with that all being said that, um, you know, take if it's really rough out there then like maybe slow down like watch your speed adjust your down pressure and hopefully yeah your emergence and yield won't be too badly affected were those like um what was like the tillage practice do you remember in those was it like conventionally till stuff or i believe it was no till if i'm remembering correctly yes and i it was also it was a high yielding cornfield as well um and it was in Nebraska, and I believe it was also irrigated. 
So I know sometimes that could potentially make a difference. Yeah. I was going to say, obviously, if you're, if you're no-tilling, that'll, that'll definitely help cut down on that compaction too. But that is, that's a really interesting point about the, the grazing. I I do think that's uh, definitely one reason why farmers might be a little hesitant towards it. We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. If you want to make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Source from Sound Agriculture optimizes the amount of crop nutrition supplied by the microbes in your soil, providing 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre. It's cost-effective and easy to use. Just throw it in the tank and spray in seed. If you want to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI, there's only one answer. Source it. Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the episode. Back to one of the questions I asked you earlier. I think grazing is is one of the more interesting things kind of in the cover crop realm to me. I, I think it's um, really interesting talking to different farmers about, you know, how they how they rotate their livestock with grazing and and it seems like every farmer has a, has a totally different approach to it, which is really cool. So I love hearing about grazing mm-hmm. and cover crops. Yes, I agree. I, I do. I geek out when farmers tell me that they're grazing their corn residue because I'm like, that's fantastic. That's just a resource that's laying out there ready to use. It's pretty nutritious as well for your cattle. So take advantage of that feed stuff. And especially with cover crops, too, that's a great way to make it more economical for farmers if they were to graze. Absolutely. So back to uh, PFI for a sec. Um, I've been, you talked a little bit about some of the events you guys do. um, And I've been to a couple of field days, but um, I'm correct that they're not all in Iowa, right? It does kind of move around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think had field days actually in all of the surrounding states this year over the summer. Um, I was in Nebraska, of course, for, for some, and then like Minnesota, Wisconsin, there might have been one in South Dakota, okay. but yeah, we try to branch out more than just Iowa for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I love going to the field days. They're always super fun. I think I went to one of yours in Iowa this year, but I know you were in Wisconsin. We're we're based in Wisconsin here, so I, I had that one on my calendar and then I, I got too busy. I couldn't go, but maybe next year. When do the events start back up for you guys, like in the spring, I'm guessing? Yeah, honestly, I guess events are ongoing. Um, there's always little ones. I know that in the... Um, me being in the field crops team, we get invited to a lot of events. I'm actually going to be in Nebraska beginning of November for a grazing conference and a transition to organic conference. So we get invited to quite a few, but our big ones that we're going to be putting on lately or that are coming up, we have our annual conference, which is in January, and that is January 19th and 20th. And that's going to be at the Iowa Event Center in Des Moines. So definitely if you want to check it out, please do. There's going to be lots of good sessions there. Um, you, I know some of the field crop sessions are improving weed suppression and reducing herbicides with cover crops, cover crop strategies ahead of corn. Um, I think there's actually a session too that was um, exploring like O and P varieties um, as a forage source. So just topics that maybe the listeners could be interested in checking out. 
Um, so that's going to be the biggest event probably of the season happening in January. We had, I think, over a thousand people attend it last year. And then the next one I would say would be a good one for listeners to go to is our Midwest Covers and Grains Conference. And that is March 4th at the Mayo Event Center in Mankato, Minnesota. And so if anybody were to attend that, they'll definitely see me there uh, along with other field crop team members. Nice. Yeah, those sound like some good events. I'll have to mark my calendar for those as well. One other thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you about before we go here is um, I've been doing a lot of a lot of interviews, some research on some alternative cover crops recently. And I think in the Midwest, especially, we see a lot of the same species. I think rye and wheat are really popular. But um, in your work or, um, or at any of the events that you've been to, I guess, do you, do you see the same types of cover crops a lot or are there a good mix. What are some of the more um, successful ones that you see in different different species? Yeah, great question. I I definitely agree with you. I'd say rye is the king of cover crops. That's definitely a really popular option, and it is winter hardy. So at this point in the game, I know a lot of people are seeding rye right now. Rye is great, absolutely, especially ahead of beans. It's fantastic for weed suppression. Um, but if you're ahead of corn, I think wheat is a good option. And that's generally what I recommend to people just because uh, it's still overwinters, but there's a lower risk of nitrogen tie up because it's slower to break dormancy than rye is. Um, so if it puts on less biomass, there will be less nitrogen tie up. So that's generally what I've been coaching to farmers lately at this point. But earlier in the in the season, I've had a lot of farmers it's super exciting to hear they're they're trying rye but then they're incorporating like a brassica species as well so if that's you know radishes or turnips um, they're seeding it by drone i know that's getting pretty popular so it's nice to see some of that variation and um i know that they're i guess we recommend maybe a brassica species if they're seeing compaction in the field just because it can help alleviate some of it a bit with their root system and for farmers, I guess you don't want to deal with a uh, like a winter hardy species and they could be new to cover crops and don't want to deal with like spring management and termination, then maybe choosing a winter kill option is good. So I know quite a few farmers as well have been trying out oats. Uh, so they obviously winter kill, which is great. You don't have to worry about spraying in the spring. So that might be a safe bet. Of course, just keep in mind, you know, planting windows. And I know it was really dry last year and it's still dry this year. So just trying to get it planted so it can get moisture and get some growth on it before it winter kills is is a big deal. But um, yeah, I suppose I'm seeing a little bit of everything, but for sure rye is very common, but oats and mixing that with, with rapeseed or something, that could be a good option for grazing. Yeah, I think that's some pretty sound advice. You mentioned aerial seeding and that's something I'm really interested in right now. Um, have you like gotten a chance to, to see it done at all? Or I guess my question would be, and I don't know if, if you have the answer to this, but it seems like there's, there's kind of a divide of like, well, some people swear by it and other people are like, oh, it just didn't work for me. Is there like an ideal like grower who, who, or an ideal mix or something that you think it's a really good fit for? Yeah, that's, I've seen it done with drone once. I actually was at Iowa Cover Crop, their grand opening in Jefferson, Iowa, and they did a drone demonstration, which was really neat. That was the first time I had seen it. And so far, I've heard of farmers using a drone 
for like turnips and radishes. And I would say their general consensus from those conversations has been it's more cost effective just because they're applying less pounds per acre because it it could get costly quickly if you were to maybe seed rye. Um, so that's that's what I've heard lately. But I agree with you that it is back and forth. It's some people absolutely love it. They might love drones better than planes just for the sake of it not getting into the neighbor's field as much. But there, there's definitely been mixed reviews about it. A lot of people do do drill it themselves. So I guess I don't have a definitive answer on what's better than the other. I suppose if it's really dry, you'd want to try to drill if you can, just so you can get that seed soil contact and get it, hopefully get it some moisture. Sounds good. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. I'll have to, uh, we'll circle back on that one. We'll uh, we'll maybe come back and do, do a deeper interview about that later on mm-hmm. in the show. But uh, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we go? I guess just everything that I'm saying so far, like we have lots of opportunities at PFI. So I know I talked about the cover crop cost share program a lot. We also have a small grains cost share program that's going to be opening soon. That's so anyone could be seeding, you know, barley, oats, rye, tri- wheat, whatever it might be. So just plant your small grain, harvest it in 2024. And then if you follow it with a, a legume cover crop, then that is eligible for our small grains cost share. So that will be open soon. So if anybody's interested, just, you know, keep your eyes peeled on our website for that. We also have a nitrogen rate risk protection program and that you know, as a program for you, if you're inter- interested in reducing the risk, if you're cutting back on your nitrogen application. So definitely check that out. My colleague Chelsea is a genius and can help with that. And yeah, this all said, I would say practicalfarmers.org. That's our website. Definitely go there. You'll be able to see and read anything that I've been saying, get more details on eligibility and, and whatnot. Um, I would also maybe say that if you're interested in in all the happenings at PFI, we have a practical cover cropper newsletter and a small grains newsletter. Those come out monthly. So that's a good way to, to stay in the know and see what we got going on. And you can subscribe to those whether you are a member of PFI or not. So that's exciting. And confirm, I, I subscribe to both of those and there, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, Oh, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And um, spoiler alert, we might have some PFI farmers speaking at our event in March, the National Cover Crop Summit. So stay tuned for some more details on that. Uh, And you can obviously head to CoverCropStrategies.com where you're already at listening to this episode for more details on that. So thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Big thanks to Morgan Jennings for today's conversation. The full transcript of the episode will be available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. And from all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening and have a great day.